I don't believe that the wealthy are any smarter than you and I. They're just playing a different game. You know, I was trying to play the game of saving my way to financial freedom using a 401k. The wealthy are playing a game of buying assets and letting assets build value and letting time work for them rather than against them. In order to do real estate in a way that would give me financial freedom, I had to understand this. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning into the Limitless Grid podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our channel. This will help us grow and bring more incredible people. Thank you. Ryan, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. We're really excited to have you on the show. It is an honor. I appreciate the opportunity to come and talk to the two of you and especially your audience. I feel like, you know, whenever someone gives me a platform to talk to people that they that already have trust in them. That's a tremendous stewardship. So thank you for trusting me with that opportunity. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. So you, you are a co-founder of Cashflow Tactics and Cashflow Tactics empowers people to invest in real estate and also find their financial freedom through real estate. Can you walk us through your journey in real estate and how you achieve financial freedom? So to be honest with you, my journey never started off as a real estate investor. In fact, today I wouldn't even consider myself a professional real estate investor. Um, my journey started off probably like a lot of people. I went to school, I got my degree, I got my first job. I'll never forget I landed in California and uh, you know took out my first uh, my first job, went to the office on the first day. and after two weeks, I got my first paycheck. Now, with a college degree, that should have been an exciting moment, right? I got a paycheck, I just got out of college, I went to school, I you know learned all this stuff. but I'll never forget when I got that paycheck. Um, after all the taxes and deductions and insurance and all the things came out, I was making less money as a college grad than I was as a side hustler paying my way through college. And a little voice in the back of my mind started to creep up. And you know what that voice said? It said, you should just quit now, right? I'm young. I've got a, a wife now at this point in my life. But I quickly squashed that voice. And I said, okay, you know what? I just need to make more money. I need to climb the corporate ladder faster. And that was my goal. Over the next four or five years, I thought if I could work hard, if I could make more money, I'll save as much money as I possibly can. My goal was to retire early. I didn't know what that meant, but I wanted to retire in my 50s was kind of the vague ambition that I had. And over the next four years, from 2000, about four to 2007, everything seemed to work. I was saving a lot more money. I was making more money. And I'll never forget the day that my 401k and my IRA and all the things that I had saved up to that point, they all crested about $100,000. I had $100,000 in net worth. I didn't know what that meant, but I thought I was doing everything right. I thought, man, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on the fast track. I'm going to retire early one day. Then you guys know, 2008 came. And in 2008, um, I learned some very big lessons. You know, I watched my 401k and my IRA and everything I had done up to that point, I watched it fall like a rock, you know, week after week, month after month, it just kept going down, down and down. And when the dust settled, I had about $28,000 left across the board in my accounts. But here was the interesting thing. I had no idea why that happened. I had no idea how to correct that problem. And I thought I had done something wrong. And so I was kind of sheepish and shy about it. But as I started talking to my coworkers, and people I was aspiring to, to, you know, follow in their footsteps, I realized everybody lost money. You know, my boss and people that I was aspiring to become like, you know, they were people that were on their seconds, maybe third marriage. They were overweight. They weren't in shape. They weren't healthy. You know, they had traded everything to climb this corporate ladder. 
and I'm following their path and their version of being able to retire disappeared before their eyes. And I thought to myself, I'm doing exactly what they're doing, but I'm expecting a different outcome. And that ultimately caused me to really sit down and figure out what the game of investing is all about. And I learned very quickly that you cannot build predictable wealth in a short period of time that you have control over when you invest in things that, like the market, that is based on public opinion and perception. And so that's what started leading me into real estate was that single realization, losing a bunch of money, realizing I was playing a game governed by the constraints of average, but I was expecting above average results. Real estate bubble also bursted, right? So people having real estate probably also lost a lot of money during that time. Well, here's an interesting thing about real estate, okay? So here's here's the interesting thing. I'm, in fact, I was a little bit late for our podcast today because I'm writing this, uh, this, we're actually writing a book right now. And so I'm, I'm working on chapter number three. But I'll never forget, I picked up this book, right? Rich Dad, Poor Dad, mm-hmm. little purple book right here. And the classics. Classic, right? But man, this one is hard. Because when I read this book, the very first thing that it said to me was, savers are losers. And that I didn't understand that. I had no place to put that information into my brain because everything I'd been doing was saving, saving, saving. And ultimately, the more I studied and the more I learned, what I realized was, If you're playing a game where all you do is save your money into a system that is governed on appreciation, you're in it for a long time. And inflation and taxes and market volatility, all of of those things are going to work against you. But if you get into a game of real estate, you're totally right. In some areas, not all, but in some areas, the real estate lost value. Now, to be honest with you, in most areas, real estate continued to gain value. But here's the beautiful thing about real estate. If you buy real estate with the intention of holding it, you're actually making money in multiple ways. You're making money through appreciation, right? The value of real estate is going up. I could buy a house today and sell it for 20 years down the road for a lot more. You're making money through cash flow. You're making money through legitimate tax deductions. You're making money through amortization. Someone is paying off the mortgage for you and you're making money through leverage. And so, yes, if you lost money in real estate during 2008, it was paper loss, right? The value of your real estate went from you know point A to point B. But if you bought real estate rights, you could just sit back, collect your rent checks, collect your tax deductions, and wait for the value of real estate to come back up. And so the more I read in you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and other books, the more I realized that the wealthy, I don't believe that the wealthy are any smarter than you and I. They're just playing a different game. You know, I was trying to play the game of saving my way to financial freedom using a 401k. The wealthy are playing a game of buying assets and letting assets build value and letting time work for them rather than against them. I wanted to go back to you know when your investments went from $100,000 to $20,000. How did you go about buying your first real estate? <laughs> it's a funny story. Um so honestly just being dumb. I didn't know what I didn't know what I didn't know and so I went out and in 2009 I bought my first property. And I'll be honest with you, that first property that I bought, I kind of walked around with my chest puffed out. You know, I thought I'm a real estate investor. I had no idea what that meant. No idea. I just bought a property. And I bought my second property after that. And when I bought my second property, I started to have a little bit of anxiety in my, in my, you know, in my heart. And then by the third property, I'll never forget, I bought it over Mother's Day weekend. And on the third property, I closed out it on Friday. And then I came home over the weekend and I literally had a panic attack. Right. Because now I have three properties. I have three mortgages. And here's what I didn't understand. Okay. Every property that I was buying was requiring more time, more efforts, more energy. I had to find the property. 
once I found it, and you know, the very first property that I bought, I had to make a hundred offers just to get the one property that I actually got under contract. That took a lot of time. But then once I had the property, I had to go paint the walls. I had to clean it up. I had to put new carpet in. Then once I did that, I had to find a tenant. Once I found the tenant, I had to collect the rent. If they didn't pay me the rent, I had to follow up with them. If something broke, I had to show up on the nights and weekends and fix it. Now, here I am. I still have a full-time job. I'm a, I'm a traveling corporate executive, but now I have a side hustle in real estate. And as I started to add it up, when I bought that third house, I was making less money uh, in my side hustle real estate than I could have if I just went and worked at McDonald's. And somehow I kept telling myself, if I buy more real estate, I'm going to become financially free. And after my third property, I realized I am on a path to where I might actually be getting further away from financial freedom. I have a full-time job. Now I have a part-time job in real estate and I can't scale both. And here's ultimately what happened to me. When I bought that third house, um, it was over Mother's Day weekend. I, you know, I'm hyperventilating on the counter in the kitchen. My wife is coming over. I should be rubbing her back because it's Mother's Day. She's rubbing my back saying, you can do it, honey. You can do it. And I went out and I held an open house, right? I held an open house to get a tenant in the, in the property. And I picked a tenant that was willing to give me a higher down payment, right? They were willing to put more money down on the property, but their application was lots of red flags, late rents, eviction notices, all kinds of different things. I never should have put them in the property, but because they were willing to give me a little bit more money up front, I did. And over the next three to six months, I paid the price over and over and over again because constantly they were breaking stuff. They were causing pro issues in the neighborhood. They weren't paying their rent. And I'll never forget, um, I was up in Rapid City, South Dakota because I used to sell medical supplies and hospital equipment. And I was up there selling a boardroom full of medical executives, all of this medical equipment, and my phone started to ring, okay? Now, at this point, I had a little healthy aversion to my phone because every time my phone rang, I kind of knew in the back of my mind, it was one of my tenants, one of my properties, and there was a problem. And I looked down at my phone and I kept ignoring it, but it kept ringing over and over and over again. And all of these numbers were coming in from the same area code, but different numbers. So I excused myself from the boardroom. I pick up my phone and I listen to my voice messages. I had a voice message from my tenant who was yelling, belligerent, screaming, swearing like he normally did, saying it wasn't his fault and he would do it again. I had a voicemail from my tenant's spouse who was crying saying, please don't evict us. Please don't give us one more chance. Then I had a voicemail from several of the neighbors of the, the, um, the property that I own saying they were going to sue me. And then I had a voicemail from a police officer saying, son, you better call me. So I called him up and the police officer told me that my tenant, who I should have evicted, I never should have put him in the property to begin with. My tenant had actually shot with a gun a neighbor's cat, blew it up, killed the cat right on the property in the middle of a crowded neighborhood. And my friends, at this moment, I, I wanted to fade into the corner of that hospital up in Rapid City, South Dakota, because I felt like I was on the verge of not only losing it all, but probably declaring bankruptcy. I was on the verge of saying, I might not ever be able to achieve financial freedom, and I might have to start over completely. At this point, I learned a very powerful lesson about real estate. Real estate is a tool to create wealth. But for most people, when I woke up in the morning and I've read this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I didn't say to myself, I want to own real estate. I said to myself, I want to be financially free. And owning real estate and financial freedom are two different things. And I thought they were the same. So in order to do real estate in a way that would give me financial freedom, I had to understand this. 
Financial freedom is a measurement. It's a measurement of cash flow exceeding your expenses. That's the measurement. And real estate can help you do that faster than better than anything else. But by financial freedom is experienced with time. It's experienced with time, but it's measured with cash flow. And up to this point, I was trying to do all of the work in real estate myself. And I wasn't very good at it. I still am not very good at it. I know now that my goal is to build a system where real estate is a tool but I measure my success with how much time I have, how much passive income I have. And so the game for real estate has changed for me completely since that moment in time. Rather than trying to work harder, I tried, I started working smarter. And that's the, that's the whole foundation of cash flow tactics. So Ryan, you mentioned a, a lot of wrinkles that probably is the biggest reasons why people don't touch real estate. Yeah. Hey, I don't wish to deal with the tenants. You know, I don't want to fix the toilets. But you mentioned you created a system. So what system was this? So back when I first started doing real estate, there was a fairly new concept that was just entering the market, okay? I want you to consider today. Today, we take it almost for granted. But today, you can get on your phone. And what can you do on your phone? Like if I want to, I can order dinner and I can have it delivered directly to my house. I can click a couple buttons. I can see what type of food I want to order. I can choose exactly what ingredients I want included. I can tell the, the restaurant on my phone when I want the food delivered and I can watch someone deliver it right to my home. Can I not? My brother, he just got married a couple of years ago. Guess how he met his spouse online, right? He met his spouse online. Now, what does this have to do with real estate? Um, back in the day, real estate had to be done hands-on in a localized neighborhood. But around 2005, 2006, 2007, there was a new concept coming online in real estate that still yet today many people don't know about. And it was called turnkey real estate. And turnkey real estate works the exact same way that I just described, you know, ordering food on, on my app on a phone. Someone else wakes up in the morning and guess what their unique skills and abilities are? I love these people. Their unique skills and abilities are real estate. You two, your unique skills and abilities are software, right? You're software engineers and you wake up in the morning and you go do software and you think about software and you're really good at software. And me, who barely understands how to turn on my computer, I'm really excited that you guys are very good at software because you can solve problems that I have. This same thing exists in real estate. There are people that wake up and are really good at finding property, rehabbing property, renovating property, securing and managing tenants, dealing with late rent and evictions. And they'll do all of that for me as a business. And my job as an investor is to know the right top property to buy with the right team in the right location and to build a system where I can hire someone to do most of the work for me. And the work product that I get falls within a range of expectations. So today, my friends, that's called turnkey real estate. That's ultimately the system that we've built is we've built a system where people can do real estate relatively passively when someone else does the majority of the work for them. So I've heard about the turnkey real estate concept, but how do you know which management company to hire? Or there might be so many apps or so many websites to choose from. So for you personally, like, are there any specific like companies that you trust uh, when it comes to like turnkey management? Absolutely. You know, and, and this kind of goes back, I'll use the same analogy for, you know, how I'm going to order my food online, right? If I'm going to try a new restaurant, what am I likely going to do before I order from that restaurant? I'm going to look at the reviews, right? I'm going to figure out who else has ordered food, food, food from this restaurant. What do they say about it? And if, if they have overwhelmingly good reviews, I'm going to have a higher level of trust. I believe that the results speak louder than words. And one of the greatest things about turnkey providers is in the game of real estate, here's the truth about real estate. Real estate's really hard. There's no way around it. It's really hard. And a lot of people in real estate, they come and they go. 
They make money when times are good. And when things get hard, they just disappear. I mean, completely. But the people who've been in real estate for five years, for 10 years, for 15 years, for 20 years, man, those are the companies that you know aren't going anywhere. They're getting better with time. And so most of the, the turnkey solutions that we look for are companies that have done a lot of real estate, that have stayed in business for a long period of time, that see the process through tip to tell. They find the properties and they manage the properties. I don't want someone else to find a property and then hand me off to someone else to manage it. I want the person who finds it to be just as invested in my success in managing the property on the back end. So there's a lot of little things that we look through to make sure that we're getting the right real estate in the right location. But the biggest things that we're looking for are good quality teams who stand the test of time. What that means is basically you outsource most of the hard work that is required, whether it is fixing the house, finding the tenant, managing the tenant, making sure that things work as, as expected. If something goes wrong, they are the first point of contact as opposed to the owner from, from the tenant's perspective. So in terms of, say, what is the expected charges? Is mm -hmm. that like a percentage or like a flat rate that is standard amongst industry? Yeah, it's, you know, I don't know if there's really a st flat standard among industry. Um, I think the industry experts have risen to the top, right? The people who produce good quality real estate. And most of the times when we're buying real estate, we want a product that has been fully rehabbed, fully renovated. We're buying it rent ready. Oftentimes you'll buy a property with a tenant already in the property. So on day one, you close on the property. On day one, you're getting rental checks in. And then I think the biggest standard people need to look for if they're considering turnkey real estate is again, the property management. You want to make sure that you know the property manager, you know that what their KPIs are, what they're, what they're measuring success on in the property management world, because that's where you are, that's where your success is made or broken, um, is in the property management. So in, for me, I treat all of my property managers like they're kings and queens. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing what little things can do because think about this as a property manager, think about what your life would look like. Every day, it's problems. Tenants not paying rent, things being broken. And if if a property owner calls up the property manager saying, what the heck, what's going on? I didn't get my rent. Well, you know, start screaming and yelling. You know, it's just going to make your day challenging. So one of my key secrets when I when I work with property managers, I send them gift cards, right? A couple of times throughout the year just to say thank you. Little things. I always say thank you. I always treat them with respect as much as possible. I like to go out to the areas that I own real estate at least once every couple of years and see people face to face. And now I manage my, my real estate success through people. That's really what it is. Real estate, no, no piece of property has ever written me a check. Think about that, right? Real estate is a way to bring two people together. And so it's a mechanism and a lure. So my goal is to work with my property manager. My property manager secures quality tenants that meet the criteria that I want my property to be rented for. Then I work with my property manager to make sure that the tenants have a good experience, that if they're in a situation where they can't pay, they're treated, they're treated well, but they're treated up to a standard of expectations. And then I work with my property manager to celebrate him or her, to recognize him or her. And if I succeed, they succeed. When you mention about like properties, right? Like when you look for a property, what exactly are you looking for? Like before you make that investment? This is the best question ever. Okay. So you have to begin <laughs> with the end in mind. Okay. It, with the end in mind, n not a single person that I've ever met. I've worked with thousands of people. No one woke up and said, Oh my gosh, today, the best day of my life would be if I went out and I bought 20 single family homes or, or I bought an apartment complex. No one says that. But what they do say 
is they say, I want to be financially free. So the biggest thing we're looking for is we want to find the right type of real estate that we can turn key, that we can build a system around. And believe it or not, one of the easiest things to turn key is single family, three bedroom, two bath homes, right? And I want you to consider this. They are the most in-demand form of, of housing in the entire country. They're the most underdeveloped form of real estate in the entire country, but yet they're the most in demand. And think about this kind of from a, from a bell curve standpoint. When people are moving up or they have kids or they want to get a bigger place, they're trying to find a three bedroom, two bath home. When people are downsizing their house because their kids are gone, they're retiring, they want to lower their expenses, they're looking for a three bedroom, two bath home. And so those type of homes are the most in-demand form of real estate, but the most underdeveloped forms of real estate. And what that means is if you can find and partner with a good turnkey provider, you're buying an asset that is literally, 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 literally always in demand. And if we go back to 2008, most people in 2008 who own single family homes, three bedroom, two bath homes, they lost nothing. And if they did lose something, it was very short term and their value of that real estate rebounded very, very quickly because it's so in demand. Now, I'll even throw this out there, okay? Warren Buffett gave an interview, and it's been a, it's been a few years back that he gave this interview, probably five or six years. And uh, the the interviewer, the the person was asking him some some very interesting questions, and she was asking him, you know, with all of the success that Warren Buffett has had over all of these years, everybody knows him as the man, the Berkshire Hathaway, the o Oracle of Omaha, and she asked him if he could do it again, would he do it all over? And he said, look. It, building Berkshire Hathaway is one of the most rewarding experiences of my life, but it was the hardest thing I've ever done ever. And if I could do it again, I would probably go back and just buy three to 400,000 single family homes. Rather than building Berkshire Hathaway, he would just go buy as many single family homes as he possibly could because he knows that those, because they're in such high demand, the value of them are always going up. Your, your vacancy rates are very low. And if you can build a good system around it, you can literally print money and create wealth. So you mentioned that the properties, the turnkey properties that you look for is three bed, two bath, maybe three bed, one bath apartment or other houses. Uh, what locations do you look at? Because the locations are where we, we live in New York City <laughs> and the prices are really high right now. Yeah. And it looks, then sometimes they're so high that the mortgage is much higher than the rent. Mm -hmm. So the owner probably ends up paying from their own pocket. Yeah. Yep. You got it. And so here's the number one rule with buying real estate. You, you live where you want to live, but you buy where the numbers make sense. And you're totally right. You know, we have a little joke and I've never applied it to New York. I'm sure I can apply it to New York, but uh, we have a lot of clients from California. I mean, lots and lots of clients from California and inside of our company, everything that we do, it's based off of a game plan. You know, we, we really work with individuals to find out what success means how much income they need or want to give them the life that they want, what resources are they working with, and how can we realign their resources to achieve financial freedom in 10 years or less? That's the whole process. But if you're from California, we tell them it's a two-step game plan, okay? Step number one, <laughs> move. Step number two, financial freedom. <laughs> because it's hard sure. to achieve financial freedom if you're going to invest in New York or California. So the number one rule that we have with people is, again, live where you want to live and invest where the numbers make sense. Most of the turnkey real estate that we're buying is in between, it's west of the Rocky Mountains, or excuse me, east of the Rocky Mountains, and it's west of the Appalachians. So it's in the Midwest area. The Midwest area is a thriving, booming area where you can, believe it or not, you can still buy real estate for as low as $100,000. You can own a single family home, 
three bedroom, one bath for as low as $100,000. And if you're going to buy that property, you can then go secure bank financing and you know you need to bring to the table, you know, 20%. So most of the property that we're buying is somewhere in the Midwest, you know, states like Tennessee, states like Indianapolis, Illinois, Atlanta, South Carolina, those type of places. And then what we're looking for is we're looking to buy property in the right area. We're looking for good geographic areas where, you know, there's population increase, there's good jobs, there's good road infrastructure, there's good school systems, there's low crime rates. We're looking for areas that people want to live, right? They're not trying to live. These are people that are getting out of apartments. They're looking for single family homes. So we're looking for the right type of tenant profile in the right neighborhood. So good neighborhood. Uh, we're looking for areas that are growing in economic population that have, you know, new jobs coming in, low tax rates, all of that kind of stuff. Then we're looking to buy properties with the right teams. This is the biggest thing. Before we ever look at the numbers of real estate, are we in the right area and do we have the right team? If we have those things in mind, then what we're looking at is we're looking at the numbers. And here's the most amazing part of real estate. If we're trying to achieve financial freedom, all we want to do is we want to buy the right assets and we want our wealth to be created with time. Now think about this. If you could go back 10 years ago and let's say you bought a house in a place like Texas and all you did is buy that house, whether you lived in it or not, you bought that house. If today, 10 years later, you tried to sell that house, do you think you could sell it for more or less than, than what you bought it for? But definitely more. Definitely more, right? Probably double, maybe even triple. So we're looking for good properties that have been renovated well. We're going to buy the asset. We're not trying to flip it. We're not trying to make a short-term gain on it. We're just trying to buy and hold. And during that time, we're going to collect all the cash flow. We're going to collect all the amortization. We're going to collect all of the tax deductions. And we're going to let time make us wealthy. Because inflation is hurting most people, you know, it's destroying their 401k. It's making the cost of living more challenging. Inflation is actually helping real estate investors, right? As the cost of living goes up, what ha happens with real estate? The value of real estate goes up. You get to raise your rents slowly and periodically with the cost of living. And so if you buy right and get a fixed rate 30-year mortgage, you take your biggest expense in that property and you fix it for 30 years. So over the next 30 years, the cost, your biggest cost in real estate is fixed. And if you think about inflation, the real cost of that is going down, right? You're going to pay your mortgage back 10 years later with less valuable dollars. But during the same time, inflation is working for you because the value of your real estate is going up. You're raising rents. You pay virtually nothing on taxes because real estate is a tax favored uh, place of the IRS. And so you're getting all of these different individual rates of return that are creating wealth for you. So if you can build the right system and just add one single family home at a time to the system, for most people, it takes them anywhere between 15 to 20 single family homes and you can be completely financially free. When you say tax free, what does that mean? The IRS doesn't tax on, on the rents? So here's the craziest part, okay? So to be very, very simple, um, if you own real estate and you have a 30-year fixed mortgage, you get to take that mortgage as a tax deduction. So your payment on that mortgage and the interest that you're making is a tax deduction. So let's say you pay, you know, $3,000 in a year of mortgage pay payments and principal and, and you know, all of that kind of stuff. And at the same time, you have $3,000 of cash flow. That deduction offsets your cash flow. So you've got, you can treat every piece of real estate as a, as a small little individual business and you get to inject all of these tax deductions that will offset the income that you're, that you're making. When you said, um, for instance, if we live in New York and if we 
want to invest in real estate as investment, you recommended we go somewhere in like Midwest. Uh, so people who invest in Midwest but live in New York City, do they usually go to Midwest to check out those houses in person before purchasing or is it everything online? You can do everything online. Now, we highly recommend that you come to, to the Midwest and check out the properties because you can do so much. It's so amazing. When you can put a face to the name, like you go out and take a little vacation, right? Let's say, let's say you're going to buy a property in Memphis. You guys are going to go out and you're going to take a little vacation. You're going to get some barbecue out there. You're going to have a great time. You're going to go meet your turnkey provider. You're then going to say, okay, you know me, I know you. Then you can come back and you're going to buy real estate by using your technology. They'll send you properties. You're going to run some analysis on them. You're going to make sure you've got the right team in the right area with the right numbers. Then yeah, you buy the real estate. And at that point, you've made a personal connection. Now we recommend, we, we take, you know, our clients out to the Midwest, you know, about once a year. And we recommend people come out and just see and understand how the process works. But I own properties in six different states and, you know, I've never actually been in over half. I've never actually set foot in over half of the, more than over half of the properties that I own. Because again, I know the right locations. I've already done the due diligence. I know the right teams. And then I can run the numbers from my home. If you don't mind, uh, do you know how many properties you own? 38, 38 single family homes. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. And here's the craziest part too about that. Consider this, you know, in the beginning, it's kind of slow, right? I mean, you take all of your savings, you buy one property and you think to yourself, okay, this is cool, but you know, it's how am I ever going to be financially free? But if that property starts kicking in. So for me, back in the day when I started this, I was saving about a thousand dollars, give or take a month, right? If I had bonuses and things like that, maybe a little bit more. But when I bought my first property, that first property, in addition to appreciation and tax advantages and all of that stuff, that was kicking off about $300 a month in cash flow. Now that doesn't seem like much, but I had to go to work every single day and trade my time, my effort, my energy to, to earn enough money to save a thousand dollars a month. That first property, once I bought it right, it was generating $300 a month. So I just increased my savings by 30%, right? And when I bought the second property, now I had two properties and my savings rate went up by 60%. I'm still working, but now I have assets per putting money in my pocket. By the time I bought my third property, my savings rate doubled. All of that cash flow coming in from my real estate was as much money as I was saving from my active income. And I just dumped everything back into the pot, right? And over time, think about it kind of like a snowball. Right. When you start a snowball, you, you pack it really tight and then you roll it. And every time you roll it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's kind of what we're building with real estate is we're building a snowball that starts to compound on its own. Now, the beautiful part about it today, I can buy properties just from the profits of my real estate in months. Right. I can just take the profits, snowball them around and then buy the next property. That's that's that sounds very interesting. <laughs> um, it's phenomenal. And that's why that's yeah. why ultimately our, our mission is, look, we want to be financially free. It's not like I want to own a lot of real estate, but if real estate is a mechanism and a tool to help me be financially free in 10 years, then heck yeah, I want to do real estate. I want to know how to be a good investor and I want to know how to build a system that generates cash flow but produces more time for me. When you say you have properties in six states, like what are the six states that you own like most of your properties? Yeah, great question. So I live in Utah. Um, I own a handful of properties in Utah, but Utah... Probably not as much as New York, but man, in the last four or five years, it's crazy. Um, so many Californians are taking my advice and they're moving from California, they're coming to Utah. So the, the cost of buying real estate in Utah compared to the rents you can charge, it makes it mathematically not realistic. 
So I don't buy any more property in Utah, and I haven't for several years. But in addition to Utah, I own properties in Arizona. Um, Arizona was a phenomenal place to buy real estate right after the 08 crash. I won't go into the metrics of that, but right after the 08 crash, when I started getting into real estate and especially started doing turnkey, that's where I started was in Arizona. I still own those properties today. They're cash cows. They're amazing. After Arizona, I went to Texas. I own properties in two different parts in Texas, in, DF, in Dallas, Fort Worth area, and then down in Houston. Both of those markets have been phenomenal markets. But again, just like in times past, you know, right now, the cost of housing compared to the rents you can collect make it a little bit economically unfeasible. So in addition to those three states, I own property in Florida, I own property in, in uh, Tennessee, Memphis, Tennessee, and I own properties in St. Louis, Missouri. I truly believe, not, not just because I've done it myself. I mean, we've had the privilege, I would say, and the opportunity to serve thousands of people over the, the years now. And it's so amazing to see so many lives transformed by just doing something so simple as buying real estate, sitting on real estate and letting time work for them. I mean, it's, we just have hundreds of case studies that it's not get rich overnight. You're not going to walk away from your job tomorrow. But if you, and that's why we build these 10-year game plans, if we can help you see the end from the beginning, help you focus your savings, and help you build a system along with that, as long as you work the system, I mean, I don't promise anyone, but it is mathematically almost impossible to fail in this game. Uh, and we tell people there's only two ways you can fail. Number, way, number one is you quit, right? Today, we have a very short attention span as human beings, and we think, oh, if real estate's not making me free overnight... Maybe Bitcoin's the next thing. And people just constantly start and stop, start and stop. And number two is if you get knocked out of the game. If you're going to take mortgages, if you're going to use leverage, the biggest thing that you have to balance that with is a healthy amount of reserves. And so we teach people how to balance having a lot of cash liquid in reserve so that you can use leverage responsibly and make money with leverage and not get put in a, in a position where it's tight and you get knocked out of the game. You brought up a really good point, getting not out of, knocked out of the game. So let's talk a little bit about the numbers. Say you buy the property for 100K, you put down $20,000. What is the ideal rent that you should get mm -hmm. to, to kind of balance it out? Yep. So the, the way that there's, there's an equation for that, in an, in an ideal world, you want that to be one for one. So if you're going to buy it for $100,000, you want to be able to rent it for $1,000. So if you're right in that range of anywhere between, you know, it's called a gross rent multiplier, anywhere between 80 to 120. Um, so if you buy it for $100,000, if you could rent it for 800, you're right on the low end range of making it work. If you can rent it for you know, 1200, you're probably not going to be able to sustain that over the long run. So if you can get right, if you're going to buy it for 100, you should be able to rent it for 100. Right now in the market that we're in, it's a little bit harder to do that. Most people are buying real estate in the you know 0.9% gross rent multiplier where they're buying for 100 and renting for about 900 or buying for 100,000 and renting for about 900 a month. So, so you mentioned that the ideal number is one person, a hundred thousand property, the rent should be around one person. That is thousand dollars per month. How is the situation right now with, with high interest rates? Mm. Yeah, that's, that's also a great question. And, you know, without being able to really go down the rabbit hole with you, this, this sentence isn't going to make a lot of sense, but interest rates don't matter. <laughs> and here's what I want to say about that. You know, again, I'm going to go back to this idea. Um, if you could think about this, you know, if you're going to go put $100,000 in the stock market, you have to have all $100,000 in your bank account to put it in the stock market. If you're going to go buy a piece of real estate valued at $100,000, you don't have to have $100,000. You need to have 20, right? Give or take. 
So even if you buy the property today, you're going to get a 30-year fixed, in some cases, a 40-year fixed uh, amortization um, mortgage. And what that ultimately means, let's say you buy it and today the interest rate's 7%. Yeah, it's going to make your expenses a little bit higher. But at the end of the day, the cost, the real cost, you know, deflated over time is going to go down on that mortgage. But let's also say, I don't know, a year from now, right? The interest rates go back down to three or 4%. You can go back to the bank and say, hey, bank, I want to refinance my mortgage and reduce my fixed expenses from 7% interest rate down to 4%. So you always have the ability to adjust the terms. But your goal is to buy the right assets in the right location with the right team as fast as possible. Because once you do that, then everything that's currently working against you, inflation, taxes, those things, they now start working for you rather than against you. And the interest rate, if you're just waiting on the sidelines, waiting for a perfect time, there's no such thing as a perfect time in real estate. You know, back two years ago when interest rates were 3%, the craziest thing was all these institutional buyers, BlackRock was coming in and buying real estate without even looking at it. They were buying real estate like in massive blocks. And so they were driving the price of, of, of real estate up even though interest rates were low. So there's always something going on in the real estate world that's not going to make it perfect. But man, right now, I believe, you know, BlackRock has kind of slowed down a little bit um, in these last in these last couple of months. And so, man, get in, buy real estate, lock in that interest rate. And over time, it will be the best decision that you've ever made. As long as you're again buying in the right neighborhood at the right at the right price with the right team. Right. Got it. So there's a possibility that I might have to put money out of my pocket for a few months or maybe for years until the interest rate goes down. And but in long run it should not be a problem, is what you're saying? Oh, you'll still make you'll still make more. You're you won't make as much cash flow, but if you're buying in the right so you should never buy real estate that's cash flow negative. Ever, ever, ever. You should always buy real estate that even in even with vacancy, even with repairs. So the way we help people do their numbers when they're buying real estate, once we go from, hey, we've got the right location, we've got the right team, now we actually look at the numbers. And we built a calculator that is tremendously, um, you know, in depth to where you can plug in all the parameters of the real estate, your cost of financing. You can plug in what your rents are, all of that. And then we force you, we force you to calculate 40% of your collected rent at some point. I know it, right? It's not going to happen today. It might not happen in the first two years, but over a 10 year period of time, 40% of the revenue that you collect isn't actually yours. It's for vacancy and repairs. So we actually force those calculations in right up front. And then we help people buy real estate that even in the worst case scenario, when 40% of your collected rent is gone, you're still cash flow positive. If you can get it to that point, then yeah, you should buy the property. And you'll make money. There might be some months where you're a little bit low, but you should never be floating a property waiting for appreciation to catch up. Appreciation is icing on the cake. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the goal is to get cash flow. And if it appreciates, it's good. If it doesn't, it doesn't. 100%. Well, and it's always going to appreciate. But like, since we don't control appreciation, you know, think about this. That's the hardest part about investing in the stock market. The stock market isn't actually based on the stock market. It's based on public perception, right? We're going through an election cycle right now. And wh what do we know about the stock market? It's going to go on a roller coaster, right? Some politician is going to get up and say something stupid and everyone's going to react to it. And then the value of the, of the market is going to go down. So appreciation is complete, not completely, but it's very emotionally driven. And it's the same goes for real estate. And so we want to have appreciation work for us, but we never want to count on that. That's just icing on the cake. The real profit centers that you have are cash flow, amortization, 
tax advantages and leverage. Those are the real profit centers. And then appreciation just happens over time. So when you're looking for a ideal property, do you usually look at places where they might have like Amazon warehouses or where like looking at like um, good school districts? Like what are some of the criterias that you look for to find that ideal um, location? Oh, such a good question. Um, so first, the first thing that you need to look for is you need to figure out what type of tenant you want to serve. That's the number one thing. Because once you know the tenant that you want to serve, then you can start to pick the, the locations where those tenants are going to live. For me, my favorite type of tenants to serve are, you know, families. You know, I like to buy a three bedroom, two bath. I'm looking for, for, for young parents that might have a kid or two. So I'm looking for, um, houses that are in a good, area with good shopping around it, good schools, low crime rates, good economic growth. Um, but oftentimes I'm looking for something that's not right downtown in the city, right? I'm not looking for young professionals that are willing to live downtown. I'm looking for people that are trying to remove themselves a little bit from the economic environment. Um, so knowing my tenant, I can choose the locations where that tenant would be most likely to live. And there's tons of geographic research and ton of, tons of uh, demographic research that we that we do to help focus our efforts of where we want to buy. You mentioned a point earlier to not to not to get blown out blown out of the waters, you know, having huge losses. So what are the things that you look at saying, okay, these things should be there in a property. And if not, then I'm gonna, you know, not, it's not a red flag. Like a red yeah, flag. that's a great question. You're looking for the the biggest expenses that you're gonna have in real estates are our structural damage. So one of the biggest things you want to do when you're doing your due diligence on a piece of real estate, you want to make sure that you know the age that the roof was repaired, because that's a big, that's a big structural issue. So you want to look at the roof. How long have the shingles been up? You know, what is the warranty that comes with it? When was the roof? When, when was the house built? When was the roof replaced or rebuilt? You want to look at the foundation for sure. Are there cracks in the foundation? And then the big thing you want to look for are the pipes, right? Are the pipes in the property? Are they old school lead pipes or are they, you know, PVC? When, you know, when was the property built? So mostly we're looking for properties that have been built after 1980. That's kind of what we're looking for. Preferably if we can get something in the year 2000 and beyond, that's what we're looking for. And then once you buy the real estate, you want to factor in the cost of owning that real estate and see what rehab and re renovation was done up front and what you know you're going to have, you know, relatively soon down the road. But, you know, we're not buying big, lavish homes. Most of these homes are very, because it's turnkey, you know, we use the same paint, we use the same carpet, we use the same linoleum. We're, we're looking to provide a quality place for people to live, knowing that they might live there for a couple of years, and then we got to put a new tenant in. So most of the properties, you have to look at it not as if you want to live there, but you want to look at it from, does a tenant who's looking for a good short-term place to live, do they want to live there? So do you trust the, the turnkey providers for that, or you, you have your own inspector? You know, you, you hire an inspection company or somebody to inspect the house definitely hire an inspection that's that's some of the best money you can spend and inspections anywhere between 300 to 600 bucks and at that point you have a third party validation of whether or not the property is good you always want to trust i mean if you have the right team you should you should develop a certain level of rapport and trust with your turnkey team over time but trust but verify right so trust their inspection but then verify it on your own and if you do have a good quality team i'll give you an example um, i have a property in memphis that I've owned this property now for five or six years, but that's my 12th property I've bought with that turnkey team out there. And I'll never forget, I owned the property for about 16, 18 months. And um, there was a pretty big um, uh, pipe issue underneath the foundation of the property. And we had to actually drill the foundation of the property and repair the pipe. And the, the all in all, the, the, the expense was about 6,000 bucks to do that. 
But the owner of the company, his name's Terry, he sent me a personal email. And he's like, Ryan, we missed it. We totally should have caught that on our due diligence. I am so sorry. We are going to cover that on your behalf. And the reason for that, remember, they're in the business. If you're with a good turnkey company, they're in the business of your long-term success. They ultimately want to manage your property for a long time. If they're nickeling and diming you all the time, you're going to look for another property manager. So if they're giving you a good experience, then, then you know that was just a small example. I, I don't expect Terry to pay for my repairs for me, but that's something he should have caught. I didn't catch it either. And he was willing to cover the cost of, of lack of due diligence on, on, on that property. And I thought that was such an awesome example of a good quality relationship. How nice. What was the name of the company? <laughs> <laughs> Mid-South Just so we home. can look out for it. Mid-South home buyers. Mid, okay. Mid-South okay. home buyers. Yep. Mm. Memphis, okay. Tennessee. Shout out. <laughs> Shout out yeah. to Terry. Way to go, Terry Kerr. I mean, you know, we've just scratched the surface of the, rather the tip of the iceberg. There's so much of information. Other, I'd recommend people to reach out to you and your company for, for more information on real estate, yeah. especially the turnkey. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Yeah, our, our primary focus, you know, I'm going to go back to the beginning. Our primary focus isn't to help you invest in real estate. Obviously, we do a ton of real estate. Over the last 10 years, we've helped people buy close to 4,000 homes. So, I mean, we've done it a ton of times. But our primary focus is to help people, busy professionals, probably like the two of you who have, who value their time. Our goal is to help you build a system where you can focus your savings, focus your efforts and become financially free in 10 years or less. And real estate is a major part of that. Tax strategy is a major part of that. But the overall system is really the foundation. You know, we've talked about real estate, but there's three components to our system. It's cash flow management, it's tax strategy, and then it's the actual assets. And so those, those three things put together, that's how we help people really grow and scale their portfolio without more time, effort, and energy involved and truly become financially free in 10 years or less. And our goal isn't to help people retire and sell off into the sunset. It's to really give them more options and more choice in their life. And most people I see, they use that choice sometimes to double down on what they do. Sometimes they quit and they start a business. Sometimes they go and they write a book. Sometimes they do retire. But I truly believe when you can live your life where money isn't the primary driver of the decisions that you make, it just improves the quality of your life. And that, that's our real goal is to help empower people with money to open up more options to live their best life. That's awesome, Brian. So if people want to find or learn more about Cashflow Tactics and you, where can they find you, Brian? Yeah, great question. I mean, I'm on Instagram. I think I'm the Ryan D. Lee on Instagram, Cashflow Tactics. Um, you can go there. And then we just launched a brand new five-day challenge. We just closed it last week, but we're going to do another one here. And if you go to the, the Passive Income Machine, PassiveIncomeMachine.com, you'll find out everything about that. And that's probably the best way to see how the system works from tip to tell see why you're likely struggling so much with traditional finance and why it's almost mathematically impossible, you know, going back to Robert Kiyosaki to save your way in a 401k to financial freedom and what to do instead of doing that. So that's, we walk people through a whole, the whole system so they can see it, they can try it. We have calculators so you can run your own numbers and then you can see if what we do is right for you. That's amazing. We'll put the link in the description as well. Thank you, Ryan. Fire Thank time. you. Love that guys. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to our podcast till now. I hope it added value in your life. And if it did, please subscribe to our channel. It will help us grow and bring more incredible guests. Thank you.